Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Be reading 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You may be seated. Good morning. So good to be with you this morning. We're so appreciative. Before I get started, I'd want to talk about how thankful we are, me and my wife, as we've been supported at the Memphis School of Preaching the past two years. We're graduating in June, as was mentioned, so we're almost there. We're almost done, and you have been with us all, so we're thankful for everything that you've done for us, thankful for the place that we got to stay last night, thankful that we get to meet y'all. I know I've known some of you. But now we get to see more of you. And thank you. I just want to just let you know how thankful we are for everything you've done for us. This morning, as we get started, I'd like to, to draw our minds to this, this moment in time. Draw our minds to this, this occasion. It was a couple of years ago, back in 2020, when the, the coronavirus started real hard. And people didn't really know what it was. People were very scared. And it was... It was causing lots of problems, lots of people to get sick. And during this time, there was a husband and a wife who had been married for 70 plus years. The husband and wife married for 70 plus years. And in these 70 years, they had not been separated one time. They, they spent every day with each other. They spent every night with each other. And they weren't apart that much. But during this time of sickness, the wife got sick and she was hospitalized. She was put into the, the hospital. And during this time, there was no visitors allowed. No one could visit her in this hospital room, not even her husband. And this, this wife, she was sick for, for quite some time, about a month or two. And during this time, her husband, who she had not spent a night without for 70 plus years, could not visit her could not see her for all this time. During this time, she, she was suffering. She was not with her spouse, her person she had been with day and night. But I saw a video. This is where, where I get this story from. I saw a video where the, the wife is finally released from the hospital. She's able to go home. She's recovered. And the video is she, she can't walk very well. She's on a cane. And the husband is in a wheelchair. But they come together. They're reunited. And 
They're coming as fast as they can, as quickly as they can together, hugging each other, saying, I love you, I missed you, I never want to spend that much time without you again. You can see on their face the joy that they had. The tears of joy that they were so glad that they were together once again. That they were reunited. And they said, I will never leave you again. Today we can think about this illustration. We can think about true joy. These, this couple had joy when they came back together. When they were reunited together. But today, can we have true joy? And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. True joy. When we describe this word joy, many people may not know specifically what this word means. They may think just it means happy. It means a good feeling. But what we're going to find out today is true joy. It's more than just the happy feeling that, that's temporary. More than a feeling that, that makes you happy on that occasion. But something that you can have through hard times. We can find that kind of joy through hard times like this couple did. This, this couple, they were separated. But then they came back together. After that hard time was over, they had joy again. We must find what true joy is in order to have it. We have to find out what it is before we can have it. So that's what we're going to try to accomplish this morning. What is true joy and how can we find it? Many people might think that true joy is, we mentioned it, makes them feel good in just that moment. But we can realize that true joy is something that we can have through these hard times. And through these hard times, the world may say, that's strange. That's weird. That's, that's crazy. How, how can you have joy through something that's, that's so awful? We're going to read the, the passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, when Peter says, Do not think it strange, as the world does. We'll get to that verse momentarily, but we're going to look at three things this morning in discovering true joy and how we can have true joy. Remember, the key word is true joy. And thank you for that, that song that we led this morning towards the beginning about joyful, joyful, we adore that we can come together being, having joy. So number one, we can rejoice through suffering. Number two, we can rejoice through unity. And number three, we can rejoice through humility. Now let's focus on point number one. We can rejoice through suffering. Now you may say, Caden, that, that's, that doesn't make any sense. How can you have joy through suffering? Well, Peter, Peter talks about this suffering. We read it just before I got up here. First Peter chapter one. If you'd like to turn there with me, thank you, your brother, for reading that scripture for us. Let's look at it one more time here. First Peter chapter one. Peter tells us how we can have joy through this suffering. Let's read verse 6 again. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And I love what it says in verse 8, when it, towards the end of it, it says, Ye rejoice with unexpected unspeakable 
joy. The, the New King James says, with joy unexpressible. We can have joy that, so much joy that it's unspeakable, it's unexpressible. But through suffering? Yes. But we must understand what that suffering is. So let's define that for a moment. We can have suffering when we suffer for righteousness, for when we suffer for the cause of Christ. Turn over the same book, but chapter 4. Verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers. Notice this, partakers of what? That you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with what kind of joy? With exceeding joy. Skip down to verse 16. This is where we're getting, not any kind of suffering, but specific kind of suffering. Verse 16 says, If any man suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. If anyone suffers for the cause of Christ, suffers for a Christian, suffers righteous suffering, he can have joy through that because he knows that his reward isn't here on earth, but his reward is somewhere else. His reward is eternal. His reward is heaven. And that's how we can get through this suffering. Thinking back to, to that, the husband and wife. Of course, they didn't have joy when they were, when the wife was in the hospital, when the husband was separated, but they knew that when, once they got back together, once they were reunited again, they would have joy. They didn't have joy in that moment, but they knew that they could have joy in the future. We can have this kind of joy, the same kind of joy through difficult things in life. Now notice this. I love to bring this out when I talk about this. Peter knows what he's talking about here. He's not just writing He's just not saying, this is what you should do. You should have joy whenever you suffer these things. But he is speaking from experience. He knows exactly what it's like to have joy from suffering. We can read in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, that the, the context of Acts chapter 5, he, him, Peter, and the, the apostles are taken and they're beaten. They're, they're, they're told, do not speak in the name of Christ anymore. We don't want to hear it. We don't want you, we don't want to hear that you're preaching in his name. Don't do it anymore. And they beat them. But then Acts chapter 5 verse 41, notice what it says. And they departed from the presence of the council. What? Crying. No. Upset. Had a bad feeling because they were just, no, that's not what it says. It says they departed from the presence of the, of the council rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Peter was able to rejoice through these suffering. He said, I, I am rejoicing that I'm counted worthy enough to suffer for my Lord. Do we have that same attitude? He had joy because he suffered for the cause of Christ. We must suffer for the cause of Christ to have this true joy. We must not think it's strange when we suffer, as we just read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. But we must not think of it as the world thinks about it. The world definitely thinks it's strange, but we must not. But we can rejoice 
when we are doing the right thing, even though we're being persecuted for it. We can be glad with exceeding joy when we suffer for the cause of Christ. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said something in his account of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Also in Luke chapter 6 when he says, blessed are ye. But notice what was, is one of those things. He said you can, you can leap for joy. Luke chapter 6 verse 23. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. Does, any, does anybody here have somebody that hates them when men shall hate you? When they shall separate you from their company? Does that feel familiar? When people say, oh, he's a Christian. I don't, I don't want to be around him. I, don't, I can't be around him because I can't act the way I want to act. And shall reproach you and cast your, your name out as evil. Does that sound familiar? Saying... Oh, that's Mr. So-and-so. He's a Christian. He goes to the Church of Christ. We can't be with him. Casting your name as evil. Has that ever happened to one of any of us? For the Son of Man's sake. But then he says, Jesus says, Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the manner did their fathers also do unto the prophets. Two things here. Jesus said it's not about what happens here on this earth. What happens here, you are to to serve me and glorify me. But then once you do that, you will be blessed and your reward will be in heaven. And you can leap for joy here on earth because you know your reward is in heaven. And he says, it's not only you. He he gives them another sign of comfort. He said, it's not only you that, that they're persecuting, but they even persecuted the prophets. And we can see throughout history, secular history also, that the prophets were persecuted. They, they were put to death. Tradition tells us that I, the prophet Isaiah was cut in half from head to toe. They killed all these prophets because they did not want to hear what they were teaching. So he says, don't, don't worry, you're not the only ones. Even the prophets, the ones that the message came directly from God, they persecuted then in the other account, Matthew chapter 5, he says the same thing. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. There it is again. Righteousness sake. Suffering for the cause of Christ. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. And when they shall say all kinds of evil against you. Falsely. For my name's sake. And rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus said it himself, that you can rejoice through this time of persecution. But then, this is what Peter tells us, that that we must follow in Jesus' footsteps. 1 Peter 2.21, following in his example of suffering. When we think of Jesus, we just thought about it as we partook of the Lord's Supper, that, that scripture we read where, where Jesus suffered. We are to follow in his steps. We must suffer. But when we suffer, we know that we can have joy because we have something else that's better. This is what, what Paul says to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, he says it's a part of the Christian walk to suffer persecution. It says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall suffer persecution. 
That's what he told Timothy. But today, I'd like to bring something to our attention. During this time of writing, during, during the first century, while Jesus was teaching these things, while Peter was teaching these things, while Paul was teaching these, these things, they, have, they had it different than we have it today. They had it to where they could not freely teach the gospel. They could not freely just, just do what we do today and, and have freedom of religion. They were under the authority of Rome especially in the first century, and they were being persecuted for it, not just being called bad names, not just being whatever it may be, but whether, but what they did do was take their lives. Not only just cause their feelings to be hurt, but cause their, their actual physical bodies to feel pain and torture. During the first century, when Peter was writing these things, you can have joy with exceeding joy when you suffer persecution. He's talking about you can have joy when you are in pain, when you are put to death. Peter, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, the one we just read, Yea, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He's not talking about just, you know, someone calling me a bad name. But he's talking about lives being in physical danger because of what you're teaching, what you believe in. We can see how how awful that the Roman Empire was to the Jews. But it wasn't only the Roman Empire, it was those who could not stand the gospel. We read about whenever Paul goes on his missionary journeys, he he is per- persecuted by his own brothers, his Jews, because they do not want to hear that message. So all around, they had persecution. But we live in a world today where it's, at least in this part of the country, where it's not as bad. Where we don't have to worry about losing our lives for the gospel. But all we have to worry about is our names being called bad names. Or our, our, pers- our, our feelings being offended. All we have to worry about is emotional type suffering. Of course, there are things that, are, that can be, be dealing with the physical. But it's nowhere near as bad as our lives being put on the line for it. Now, it, it may come to that point. And we need to be ready, if it does come to that point, to, to give our lives for that. But right now, we don't have to worry about those type of things in this country. We can All we have to worry about is things that are, are, are minor compared to our lives being put on the line. That's something that it's important we must understand. But in thinking about that, that, that persecution, that great persecution may come one day where we do have to give up our lives for it, where we are beaten for it physically. We know that this world is not our home. Our home is heaven. And that gives us hope. This is the reason why we can have joy. Peter calls it a living hope in 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 6. Our hope, that hope is not here on this earth, but that hope is incorruptible. It will not fade away. And that hope is reserved in heaven. We can have joy looking for that home in heaven. But while on this earth, we are to suffer for the cause of Christ. But we don't have to suffer alone. And this, this is what's going to bring us into our second point. We don't have to suffer alone. Because of the suffering, we can have joy when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like that husband and wife that 
were married for 70 plus years, not spending a day or night without each other, but then enduring this, this difficult time of separation. But then finally they were able to come back together. They reunited together. And they were able to have that wonderful joy once again. They reunited. Our second point is we can have joy through unity. Before we get into this, this point, we need to describe, describe what unity is. What is unity? What is the definition of unity? Well, if you'd like to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and my, remember, go, going off our last point, Paul is in prison at this point. Paul is writing this, this epistle, this letter to the Philippians from prison. From, no matter, we don't know what all happened in that prison, but we know that he's in prison, he was beaten before this, and what is this letter known as? The epistle of joy. We can see how, how much joy a Christian can have through this letter to the Philippians. But we can see that we can have joy through suffering, but we can also have joy through unity. And Paul's going to talk about this unity here in Philippians chapter 2, if you'll turn there. Philippians chapter 2, let's start in verse 1. If there, if there be, therefore, any consultation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy. Now notice, that's, this is how Paul is going to get his joy. Paul's in prison right now, suffering, but this is how he's going to get his joy, fulfilling my joy, how that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, let's notice just verse 2 for just a moment before we continue. Verse 2, we have the words such as like, same, one. We see these words used. He said, I want you to be the same, like-minded, of one mind. Paul says, fulfill my joy by doing so. We can have the same kind of joy as Paul had. We can have the same kind of joy as as Paul had when we are like-minded of the same love. When When we have this unity. Nothing is better than a brother or sister asking, well, how are you doing today? It's good to see you today. And when they're sincere about it. When they say, I've heard that, that whatever the case may be, your father is not doing well. I'm sorry to hear that. We're praying for him. I, I've, I've heard that a, a tree fell, fell on, on your car or fell on your house during the storms last weekend. I'm sorry to hear that. Can I come out there and, and help you clean that up? Or how are you doing today? I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling this week. Could you help me? And that's the, that's the blessing. That's the, that is the wonderful benef- the benefit of being a Christian. Being able to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and helping each other. Being able to, when we help each other in that way, we can have unity, we can have joy through that unity. Now there are some examples of unity. We can read in Ephesians chapter 4, we can, we can read the ones of unity. Ephesians chapter 4, 3 through 6, has the word one six times in three verses. There is to be one church. The church is one. Being one is being 
being joined and knit together. It says, verse 16, being together like a unit, like a working machine. This unity, what it is, is, is the church. It is the church. And we, as the church, are a body. And we all are to do our part. That edifies the whole body. Each person has a role, just like the human body. Paul gives us this illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, how the church is like a body. There's different members, just like your body has different members, but each member does its part. He also gives us this illustration in Romans chapter 12, that God has given each member an ability to help and edify the whole body. Now, how do we get this unity? We looked at what it was of being one, being one, being of the same mind, of the same love. But how do we actually get it? Well, there are four let's, going back to our verse here, Philippians chapter 2. The King James has three let's, but if you're reading from the New King James, there'll be four let's. The beginning of verse 4, there's, there's one in the New King James that's not in the King James. But you can, it's still implied there. But I, I call them the four let's that Paul tells the church at Philippi to have unity. Read with me verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let, there's number two, let each esteem others better than themselves. Verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now here is the fourth let. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashions of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Number one, let nothing be done selfishly. How do we get unity? By not being selfish, by being selfless. Number two, let each esteem others better than himself. How do we get unity? By putting others before yourself, saying... Not focusing on what I want first, but what, I, what the next person wants before me. And it's going to say it again. And the next thing, let each look out for others' interests. Look out for the interest of your brother before you look out for your own interest. And finally, how do we get unity? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Let Christ's mind be in you. That's how we get unity. Jesus prayed. John 17, before he went to the cross, he prayed to the Father and said, he prayed for unity. He prayed for the unity of the church. He prayed for the unity of those who would hear the message of the gospel. We get unity by working together. Ephesians 4.16, every part does its share. And it causes growth. Once we have this unity, we must endeavor to keep it. Ephesians 4.3, we have to strive to keep this unity and not lose it. We have to work for it. Without the unity of the church, we will not have this joy we're talking about, this true joy. If we don't have this unity, we won't have this true joy. When it said, you know, we'll come to church every Sunday, we'll be together, but we won't actually 
be unified together. Well, our physical bodies will be sitting here in, in the pews, in, in the benches, but we won't actually be together. We actually won't be unified. And we'll be here, we'll listen to the sermon and go home. But when we're actually unified, we must keep it. Why do we need unity? Well, if our bodies do not work together, you cannot function. Going back to even Paul's illustration of the physical body. If you were to to eat a meal, you have the fork, if you will, and you you get a, a scoop of your fork and you put it to your mouth, chew it up, and swallow it. From that, your body's able to draw the nutrition from that food and it benefits your whole body. You're able to, your whole body's able to be benefited by you eating that food. But if that hand were to say, no, I'm not doing it. I don't want to feed the mouth. But not, not only the hand would suffer, but the whole body would suffer. If the, if the body was not able to get nutrition to its body, then the whole body would suffer, not just parts of the body. The same thing if, if, the, if the food was able to come to the mouth, if the hand fed the mouth and the mouth chewed it up and swallowed, but if the digestive system did not work correctly, if it was not able to, to draw the nutrition from the food, not only would that part of the body be affected, but all of it would be affected. The whole part would be affected. And that's what Paul is getting to here. And when he says that, is the foot, is the, the ear going to say to the eye, I, I want to be the eye. I want to be the eye. I don't, I don't want to be the ear. But they said, well, where would be the hearing? Or if the eye said to, to whatever it was, the feet, I want to be the feet. Well, where would be the seeing? Every part, every person, every member has its part to play, just like our physical body. But if we do not do our job, if we do not do our role, not only will we suffer from it, well, not only will we be affected from it, but everybody will be affected from it. Because we are a body. After being apart for so long, after spending every day and night with each other, the husband and the wife had joy. After that long period was over, they had unity with each other once again. We said it at the very beginning. They reunited. What's in that word, reunited? They, unity. They, they had unity again. They reunited, and because of this, they had joy. They also had joy because they cared for the other person more than themselves. This is going to bring us to our third and final point. After, after being apart for so long, they didn't think about themselves. They didn't care, oh, this is what I want to do today. This is what I want you know. But rather, I'm sure they spent every moment thinking about their partner, their other person. Every moment, they didn't do another thing without thinking, I miss my spouse. And the whole time they were apart, they were thinking of each other. They were not thinking selfish thoughts, they were thinking selfless thoughts. Part of having this unity is focusing on others before yourself. This brings us to our third point. We can have joy in humility. There's a recipe for joy. You, you might have heard it in the acronym of J-O-Y. So an acronym of joy. But the letters stand for something. We, we call it the recipe for joy. Number one, the J. 
J is Jesus first, O is other second, and Y is yourself last. Sometimes we sing this in the form of a song. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. If we follow this recipe, if we follow this order, we will have joy. By putting Jesus first, by putting others before yourself, and then yourself last. That is being humble. That is showing humility. We can look at the ingredients for this recipe in Philippians chapter 2. We've read, we've read them already, but we can look at them again. Philippians 2, verses 2 and following. If you put Jesus first, you will have true joy. What does it say in verse 5? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Put Christ's mind in your mind. Think like him. Number two, others second. Putting others before yourself will show you true joy. Again, we read it already, but we can read it again. Verses three through four. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. In the New King James, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. What is selfish ambition? Anything that, that would be you wanting just to do whatever you want to do. I want to do this, so I'm going to do it. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care how it affects anybody else. I'm doing it. Selfish ambition. But in lowliness of mind and humility, esteem others, put others first, put other, do, treat others better than you treat yourself, and look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Before you say, what do I need today? Ask somebody else. What do you need today? Can I help you today? Putting others before yourself will give you true joy. Help those who are in Christ, Galatians 6, 2, and 10. Bear one another's burdens, but also help those who are out of Christ. Matthew 5, 44. Putting yourself, putting yourself last will give you true joy. That's verse 4. Not, don't, don't look only to your own interest, but to the interests of others. Yourself last. Don't lift yourself up, because if you do, God will humble you. We can read a passage in Luke chapter 18, verse 14, that the man who was praying to God, and he was praying and he was saying, Ah, oh, look at me, God. I, I am so righteous. And there beside him was a publican, a tax collector, and he was on the ground with his face to the ground, beating on his chest, saying, I am a sinner to God. And the man who thought he was all righteous said to himself, Oh God, I'm, I'm thankful I'm not like this man who's down here on the ground, who's beating his chest, who can't even look up to the heavens. I'm glad I'm not like him. Then this man, who, who is so remorseful, is so sorry, saying, I'm a sinner, please forgive me God. We read in verse 14 there that it says, God will humble those. He said, who, he, he who exalts himself, God will humble them. But we can read in James chapter 4. James chapter 4 verse 10. If you humble yourself, then God will lift you up. So we can see we, we have a pattern here. That if you lift yourself up, God will humble you. God will bring you down. But if you humble yourself, 
If you bring yourself down, then God will lift you up. Living humbly is not to be seen by men. We, we can read the passage in Matthew 6, how they do all these things to be seen by men, to get that pat on the back. But if we are to live humbly, putting others first, we're not to be seen. We're not to, we're not to be glorified by men, but rather our reward is in heaven. Our reward is, our, our Father who gives in secret will reward us openly. That's our reward. You will find joy, just like that couple who, who had joy when they finally were reunited. If you humble yourselves and reunite yourself with God. James 4, verse 8. So many in the world today, so many people, they don't know what true joy is. People, again, we've talked about it. People may think it's a time to feel good for a moment, to be happy. But that doesn't last forever. That lasts momentarily. So many people don't know what true joy is like today because they are without God. They were without obedience to Him. They were without knowledge of Him, without obedience to Him. And sometimes they are, they do know Him, but they're this way. They're, they're not humbling themselves. They're, rather, they're arrogant. They say, I don't need God. I don't need to do this. I don't need that. I don't need this. And I wonder why so many people today are not happy, are not able to have this joy, because they reject God. Well, if they were to humble themselves and reunite with God, come back together with God, or maybe even come to God for the first time, they could see what this true joy is. They don't know what the recipe for joy is. They don't know that you are to put Jesus first, others second, yourself last. But they think, I'm supposed to put myself first. We can think about the billionaires today. Who do you think they have it all? They have all the money. They have all the nice cars. They have the biggest house. They have it all. But statistics show that so many of these people are not happy. So many of these, these rich people are depressed because they don't, they can't find true joy in their material things. Solomon said it himself, the wisest man said, I've tried to find joy in all these ways of life, in money, in, in animals, in, in women, in land, in riches, in wealth, all these things. I tried to find it, but I couldn't. You cannot have joy in those things. But we looked at this morning where you can have true joy. You can have joy through suffering, suffering for the cause of Christ, knowing that your reward is in heaven. You can rejoice through unity, coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ, being able to, to be with each other, to have a good time with together, to be able to worship God together, to be in fellowship together. You can have joy through humbling yourself. When you put yourself last, you'll be able to see, wow, I really... I'm able to help out everybody. I'm able to, to see that God is lifting me up and I can have joy. But this morning, my question for you is, do you have true joy? Do you have the kind of joy we've talked about this morning? Do you have the kind of joy, not temporary joy, but joy that you can have that's enduring? Are you suffering, for, are you suffering as a Christian because you are doing that which is right? knowing that your reward is heaven? Do you have joy because you have loved the fellowship with the brethren? Do you have joy because you realize if you put others before yourself, that gives you the most joy? Or are you thinking, I have none of these things. I do none of these things. I don't have joy because I, I don't remember ever suffering for the cause of Christ. Because any time that would come up, I would just turn the other way. I would say, oh, oh yeah, or I would give in and say, no, I, I don't believe that stuff. Although you really do, you just don't want to seem 
that way to your friends, to your peers. You maybe you say, no, I don't, I don't have the joy you're talking about when I come to church. I just come, I sit down, I take the Lord's Supper, I sing sometimes, and I leave as soon as the prayer is over. So you may be thinking, I've been selfish lately. I've been just doing what I want, and I haven't even thought about what anybody else has want. Are you thinking these things? Are you thinking, I don't have this true joy because I have not done these things? Perhaps you want this joy in your life. You can get it. But another question is, have you lost your joy? Maybe you have had this joy at one time. You've had this joy and you were so happy to receive it. But then, as time went on, you lost this joy. Well, you can get it back today. There is a process to coming in contact with the blood of Christ to become a New Testament Christian and receive joy for the first time. You can, re- you can receive joy for the first time by obeying the Lord. A part of that is hearing, as we've done today, Romans 10, 17. Believing what you've heard, Mark 16, 16. Repenting of your sins, repenting of, of things you have done, you know, you're feeling remorse for them. Confessing Jesus' name as the Ethiopian eunuch did. Finally, being baptized, being being buried, being immersed in that water, coming in contact with the blood of Christ. Paul says, as he's giving his conversion story in Acts 22, he says says in verse 16, And Ananias came to him and said, Paul, why are you waiting? Why tearest thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Perhaps you need to do that this morning. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You wash away your sins by being baptized. And once you, once you are a Christian, you can have this joy. But perhaps you are a Christian already and you lost your joy. You can get it back by obeying the Lord, by, by coming and asking for forgiveness. Asking God to forgive you for things you have done and repenting of them. You can come back to that true joy by suffering for the cause of Christ again, by having that unity with the body of Christ and following that recipe for joy. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Finally, by reuniting with the Lord. If there's anything that you need this morning, if you want that true joy for the first time ever, you can receive it. If you want that joy back because you've had it in the past, but you want it back, you can get that as well. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.